Welcome to lesson three of our marriage class here at Palm Vista. We took a couple of weeks off uh, thanks to Hurricane Irma. And we are back here with our class on romance. So you should have the notes there in front of you and we'll post those notes online. Let me just start off by saying that, believe it or not, God commands us to love one another romantically. I know that sounds funny, but it's true. Um, As in everything in the Word of God, it's primarily, it must be rooted in His glory, but it's also for our good. So romantic love really is God's idea. It's not Hollywood's idea. Uh, it's not some wonderful songwriter's idea and coming up with these great songs that do touch the heartstrings. But it's truly rooted in God, and He created us male and female. And He created us for that one relationship, that covenantal relationship here on earth uh, that is so beautiful And romance is a big part of it. So I want us to look at, in your notes, you should have the scripture there, Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Let me read that. Let it wash over you. If you are married, if you've been married a week, a month, a year, or 35, 36 years, let it wash over you afresh. And if you are not yet married, may this give you a vision for what God would want to give you. Ephesians 5, 21. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I also put another scripture there, Titus 2. Uh, I'm not going to read that one, but in a church, what we hope to to cultivate is a culture where the older women, don't know what older is, it keeps creeping up the older I get, but the older women, the more experienced women, are able to teach the younger women. I want to commend you, church. I believe that's happening. And I think you're doing it by your example, but also by teaching scriptures like this and classes like this because we all need to have our minds renewed from what we either grew up with or maybe didn't grow up with we never saw this kind of romantic love between our parents what we see on the screen or even just our own hearts what we demand at times god wants to change us so that we have a vision for this romantic love and then we can live in the good of it so what does the bible say about romantic love the principle of romance in the Bible is best captured by the use of the word cherish. We saw that word in the scripture we just read. This word means to hold dear, to treat with tenderness and affection, to take care of, to indulge and encourage, to harbor, to cling to. It's actually translated from a Greek word, and that word is thalpo. And it means to heat, to soften by heat, To keep warm like a bird covering its young with feathers. It has the idea of warmth, 
tender love, tender care. Obviously, this is a lot more than foreplay. It's a lifestyle. Again, Ephesians 5, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. For the woman, this idea of romance is warmth, affection, and reassurance of your love. I think we get that one, right? But ladies, for the man, romance is respect, admiration, and praise. It's interesting. You know, we, romantic can be defined in a very wide swath of definitions. Dare, dare I say this? A romantic date can be playing tennis with your spouse. It can be. It can be going dancing. It can be the candlelight dinner, obviously. It, it, it can be a lot of things. But what you want to do is, what does, what, how is romance communicated to my spouse? I want to learn them. And for men, respect, admiration, and praise is a big deal. And for ladies, warmth, affection, and reassurance of your love is a big deal. The other is true as well for each other. But typically, this would be the propensity. Bob Coughlin, who's a friend and a leader in Sovereign Grace Ministries, worship guy, says this. Romantic love, romance, is God's way for us to communicate to our spouse that they are an invaluable treasure in our lives worth pursuing, worth investing in, and worth delighting in. So that, that's, that's kind of the question, right? Is, does my spouse feel that she or he is an invaluable treasure that I want to invest my life in, I want to pursue, and I want to delight in? Uh, men, 1 Peter 3.7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, Men, we should make it our lifelong ambition to study our wives, to learn about them, and to bless them and serve them with every ounce of strength that we have. Even as Christ laid down his life for the church, so we lay down our lives for our wives. And I want to make that connection. Our romance must be related to an eternal perspective. I don't know if you're familiar with Psalm 90. You might want to jot that down. This is the psalm that says, number your days. Um, you know, it says, it's a psalm of Moses. It says, Lord, teach me to number my days. Think about this for a moment. Moses watched friend after friend die in the wilderness. Remember, Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. God's promise was that that generation would die before the new generation went. He watched friend after friend die in the wilderness. And so he pens this psalm. And what it speaks to us today is if you knew today the day of your death, wouldn't that change how you live? You can't assume that you will live, be alive next year. Let this motivate you by grace to serve and make a difference in your spouse's life. Work so that what you do today has an effect on others tomorrow. And I would dare say your children, if you have young children or even teenage children or even adult children. You are making decisions now for a time you will never see. For your grandchildren, those of us that have grandchildren. So... How do we learn to express romantic love in our marriages? I, I would say love that is not expressed is not love. The Bible's clear. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's a demonstration of love. 
So here are some ideas. I think they're in your notes. You can jot down whatever jumps out at you. We first express our love through words. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. They're, they're sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And the opposite is true. I would say this. Your spouse knows that you love them and adore them, but they want to hear it. They want to hear it over and over again. Ladies, your, your husband never tires of hearing how much you enjoy being with him, doing things together, exploring and discovering all the blessings God has given you as a couple. I mean, you, we all do it differently, whether it's whispering sweet nothings, whether it's a affectionate private names that no one else knows but you. You kind of giggle about when no one's around. Of course, the all-important phrase, I love you. Learn to talk about things that your mate deeply cares about. Boy, in my house, that's going to be administration and finances. And not because my wife is worried about it, not because she's, you know, all caught up in money, but my wife's an administrative creature. She is an administrative machine, dare I say. (laughs) And it's romantic for Desi to hear me say, hey baby, tonight, let's work through the finances. Now, for me, I am the exact opposite. I am a party animal. I am a creature of the moment. I have no desire to plan retirement. But when I share that, what am I communicating to Desi? What's important to you is important to me. Friends, that's romantic. Romance is so cool. It's so individual. Don't let anybody tell you, you got to do this to be romantic. You find out from your spouse what's romantic to them. That's what you do. Now, it can always morph from finances to something a little more intimate. That's glorious. But finance is part of it. It it really is for us. Now, it may not be for you. I I don't know what it is. Fixing the garbage disposal. I don't know. Taking out the garbage. Whatever. You're all so unique. We're all so unique. But it's you find out what's important to them, and you make that important to you. And especially so when they know it's not important to you. But you have really taken on their burden and their care. That, that's beautiful. All right, next one. Through mutual encouragement. I love this phrase. I think it was Danny Jones who I first heard say it. Catch each other doing things right. Not hard to catch them doing things wrong. Those things jump up. They're the things that irritate us, right? Toilet seat up, whatever it is in your house. Um, But work hard at catching your spouse doing something right and let them know about it. Let them know about it. If they have that wonderful meal that they prepare for you, whether it's the husband or the wife, maybe the husband's the cook in the house and he loves cooking, tell them, even though for 20 years he knows you love it, just tell them again, baby, this is amazing. Honey, that, that steak, the way you do it, that sauce is beautiful. It's just the little things daily, day in and day out. You're cultivating it. You're letting them know that what they do makes your life more enjoyable, more wonderful, more fulfilling, more rewarding. Next, through touch. Certainly sexual, but non-sexual. Touching her hair or his hair, giving them a back rub, gently caressing their back, whatever it is. In our marriage, I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I'm just not. And, uh, you know, it took me a while to just realize my wife is. I'm not talking about a sexual touching, just she likes the, the light hug. She likes the arm around her when we're, you know, in a theater. She likes, I don't think about that. I, the joke is, my, don't, don't, don't touch me. You know, one of my son-in-laws is a touchy-feely guy, you know. And 
It was always great when he was dating my daughter. They'd be on the couch and he'd giving each other foot robes. And I'm like, Des, do you see what they're doing? Des, they're too close. Now they have four children. So yeah, they got a whole lot closer since then. But and he, and he would mock me. He would say, hey, Al, you want a foot rub? I said, stay away from me. If you touch me, I will punch you. But I can't, I, I, with my wife, right? If she likes that, also, I'm very ticklish. So you touch me, and it just like it doesn't calm me. I can never go for a massage. I'm like, God, get, get your hands off me. Uh, but if she likes that, then I learn how to do that, and I and I am, and we and you know, 32 years into it, we're still learning. Um, you know, a light kiss before you leave home, whatever it is for you. I'm not trying to tell you. I'm just giving you examples from our lives. It's going to be different for you through gentleness. Uh, Colossians 3.19, this is from the Amplified Version. Husbands, love your wives, be affectionate and sympathetic with them, and do not be harsh or bitter or resentful toward them. That's Colossians 3.19. Again, this is a generalization, but we men can be harsh. And, and we are, in some sense, if, if in your job or whatever, you've know, you got to be tough. I get that. But with your wife, you slow it down and you just you realize she's not a, just another buddy that you joke roughly with. I've had to learn that, even with words. But, but being gentle, this blend of masculinity and gentleness produces a fascinating combination in a man, which is both attractive and admirable. It is. A gentle, kind, sweet-spirited wife ladies, brings her husband both great joy and great honor. You know, this is now we're getting to our character. Lord, am I a sweet-spirited wife, ladies? Or is, am I kind of a harsh person? And, and then say, Lord, change me for your glory and for my good and my husband's good. Through respectful behavior. Um, you know, ladies, 1 Peter 3.1, wives, be submissive to your husbands. We have to consider the lie of our culture and the world around us and not bow our knee to that thinking. It is prevalent and it is the way that is around us, but we must look at what the Bible teaches us and compare that with what God has placed in our hearts and say, Lord, help me. Help me. Husbands, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs of the gracious gift of life. This is 1 Peter 3, 7 in the Amplified. Honor is showing respect or esteem. It's an attitude. It's an act of recognition. It's an act of acknowledging the worth or the value of a person. You can either see what they don't have and complain about it or see what they do have and celebrate it and then gently work with each other to help each other in our weaknesses. It's a decision. Hey, here's, here's one. Genuine love has good manners. Whew. The way I used to eat, you know, I was in the military for a while. In the military, you sit down, you just eat fast. That doesn't bless my wife. So just good manners. Sit up straight, you know, right? Fork, you know, the, the, wherever, you know. Instead of like, you know, put it down. Talk to her. Just good manners. Opening the door. Just things like that. 1 Corinthians 13.5, love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. So you may be on the other side of it. You may be very 
courteous, but in your heart, there's just this bitterness. You're always mad. You're always upset about something. There's always that little scrunched up eyebrow. And your spouse knows it. They walk in and they go, okay, what's wrong now? You can talk about those things, but we don't have to talk about them with this sort of this angry demeanor. And again, we're back to, Lord Jesus, change me into your image that I might love my spouse. Big one. Refuse to let yourself criticize your spouse in front of others. And certainly don't ridicule them. I'm a jokester. Uh, I'm working on this just to control my mouth. You know, what I think is funny often is not funny. It's funny to me, but no one else thinks it's funny. But never do I want to go to the place of making a joke at the expense of my spouse. Or even if it might tangentially be at the expense of my spouse. So that's where self-control comes in. That's where our love motivates us. Next, through humor and playfulness. Now, however, we do have fun in the Pino home. And we do laugh a lot. Don't be hyper-serious and lose your ability to laugh. This is where faith in God comes. Because if I know there's something wrong, I, I can't laugh and enjoy this because I've got to fix it right now. I've got to play Holy Spirit. I've got to just harangue them and talk to them and, and, and just make them see it. No, you don't. You can, you can let them know. And you can trust God that it'll get worked out over time. But in the meantime, we can laugh. We can joke, even laughing at ourselves. Finally, through careful planning. Spend time planning how you can cultivate romance in your marriage. So like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm looking up, trying to find places. Maybe you can help me. Desi and I used to go dancing in Hialeah, La Carreta, upstairs. They had this uh, class. You pay like 10 bucks. And they would teach La Rueda, which is a circle. And we had so much fun. We'd be up there with abuelas and 15-year-olds practicing for their quinces. And, and we had a blast. And I, I just haven't been able to find that. I found a place in, in uh, Pembroke uh, that's more like dance classes, but it's a little more hard-edged. The one I, that we had in La Carreta was fun. We usually we'd get something to eat, then we'd go upstairs. That was so romantic. But I, I'm trying to plan that out, hearing what Desi likes, by the way, she does like going to the spa, so maybe she goes to the spa and I go to the sports bar next door and watch a football game. I don't know. Uh, but, but, but I'm planning it. I, I'm trying to come together. We are on a limited budget, as all of us are. I'm trying to find things that are free. In and, and, and South Florida, you know, between like January to March, the weather's great and there's so many things you can do for free. I'm going online. I'm researching. I'm planning it. I'm working at creating surprises. I know some of you aren't wired that way. I'm a very spontaneous person, so I'm more wired that way. Some aren't. Some of you are more serious and focused and, and you're, you're planning ahead. Slow it down. Say, okay, how can I surprise him or her? Uh, the other night, I, I'm working on the sermon. I think it was Thursday night. Thursday's the sermon writing day and I don't like being alone. I don't like being quiet. And when sermon writing day, it's it's Eight hours of being alone and quiet. This drives me crazy. So about five o'clock in the afternoon, Desi just calls and says, what do you want on your Anthony's coal-fired pizza? Because I love that pizza. And she goes, she goes I just, I just want to bring it. And it was such a surprise. It was a great, it, it, just, it was a little thing, but it was, she came home and I'm done and it was, it was wonderful. I want to do the same for her, things that she likes. All right, in the application phase there, um, I am going to try to post a few ideas, but let me just give you some thoughts if you want to jot these down on the back of the notes there. I didn't put anything in your notes, but can you just write this down? The grace of God. The grace of God. <laughs> because you might be hearing this and saying, wow, I am so far from this. Or one of you, and typically it's the wife, is if not literally elbowing the other, 
in their mind elbowing them. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? <laughs> I used to hate it when guys, hey, on a scale of one to 10, where would you say your romance is? And they'd ask Desi and me. And at first I'd say, oh, we're at about a seven. And then I'd look over and I'd, I'd see Desi, mm, maybe a three, two and a half. I've learned, let her answer first. Yeah, whatever she says. Um, and, and you can get beat down by that. You, you can think, I'll never change. Yes, you will. By the grace of God, there's hope. You're in this class or you're listening. Thank you. Uh, there's grace. Um, you, you are becoming convinced that this is for God's glory, rooting it in God, rooting it in eternity, but it's also for our good. Um, the grace of God means that I'm not going to blame my spouse, but I'm going to look here and say, okay, Lord, give me the grace. Give me the grace. I trust you for this. Because Jesus said that he would perfect us. The Bible says that God will conform us into the image of his son. So many of these character issues that we looked at that can prevent us from being romantic, they're simple character issues, can change by the grace of God through friends in your life as you invite them in, through praying together. Pray about your romance. Lord, help me. Pray together about it. Find a good book. Uh, Desi and I recently read a book called The Grace-Filled Marriage. That's a good book. We, we read it together. The Grace-Filled Marriage. Forget the author, but just Google it. The Grace-Filled Marriage. Real practical. Uh, real helpful. And then just read a little bit and talk about how can we apply this. Encourage one another where you see some, some um, progress. Um, so, the grace of God. But then right underneath that, write this down. Romantic love is hard work. Romantic love is hard work. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And that work begins in prayer. So that I'm praying about it. I'm saying, Lord, I'm on my knees. I want to love this woman. I, you, you read Ephesians 5 and you say, this man, this is our command to cherish our wives. That word, thalpo. Ladies, this is God's command to respect him and honor him and build him up. Lord, help us. Lord, show me how to take the initiative. It really is an art, and it's different with every couple. It's going to look differently, but it's an art that can be developed and cultivated. Uh, my daughter uh, plays the piano. She teaches people on the piano, and I remember when she was first learning, she had to learn the scales. You have to, the scales are, are absolutely necessary. And then after you master the scales, man, you can start improvising and doing all this stuff. So the same with romance. There's, there's things that we can develop. There's files that you can have on your computer with ideas. There's places that you, you know, log into to find out what's going on that week. There's, there's budgeting for it. Man, in your budget, you have this budget. We have in our budget a line item. It's called entertainment dates. And, uh, and, and, and I'm thinking, how much money do I have? How can I spend it? How, what's, what, what does she enjoy? So that's work, but it's also an art. It's an art. Dare I say this, because of the fall, sadly... And we believe in the total depravity of mankind because of what happened in the garden. Every aspect of our lives is affected by sin. To include this one flesh romance, which, by the way, Paul quotes in Ephesians 5, and he's quoting from Genesis 2. So God created Adam and Eve and brought them together. They were one flesh, both physically, but their souls. And it was beautiful in the garden. And then Genesis 3 comes, and there's sin. So sin affected that. So it's not natural in one sense. But in another sense, because we're made in the image of God, there is something there. So God's going to restore it with your particular personality, your particular marriage. It's going to look differently for you. 
And that'll be beautiful. You can explore that for the rest of your life, but it doesn't just happen. We have to work at it. Has nothing to do with your background, has nothing to do with your temperament, your personality, your economic status, or even your culture. This is a God thing. It's rooted in God and eternity. Now, it's going to be affected by all those things. Absolutely. It's going to look a little differently. But at its core, it's that one flesh cherishing, respecting, loving each other. What are the main requirements? I think you know this. Humility. Unselfishness. I I think of Philippians 2, where it talks about Jesus who came to die for our sins. And he says, have the same mind as Christ. Don't only think of your own interests, but also the interests of others. Consider others more significant than yourself. Those are powerful words. That's unselfishness. And then finally, generosity. Do we cultivate a generous spirit? Do we give each other the benefit of the doubt? When something happens and I don't quite understand why, do I immediately think the worst or do I try to think the best? Love always thinks the best. That doesn't mean being naive. It just means a state of my, am I generous as God has been generous to me? Am I merciful? We're going to talk about that in just a few weeks. As God has been merciful to me, am I unselfish? Am I humble? Of course, it takes planning, creativity, making it a priority. And like I said, investment of resources, put it in the budget. We've talked about communication. You can listen to some of the previous lessons, but it obviously means we learn to communicate and we learn to listen. We learn to listen. We ask questions and we listen. We learn to encourage one another. Yes, we're honest with each other. Absolutely. We're sincere. Here's one. We're specific. I I found that oftentimes a romance killer for me is being too general. I tend to be more general. I'm about a mile wide and one inch deep. My wife is more like, you know, one inch wide and 400 miles deep because she's very specific. And I can often get frustrated with the specificity that she wants to discuss something. I just want to hit it and go, hit it and go, hit it and go. Hey, the game's on in 10 minutes. Okay, we'll talk about this budget for 2018 in 10 minutes. We got it. And it's like, no, we don't have it. Turn the game off and be very specific. So that's from my life. Your life, it may be different, but, but specificity is going to be a key to romance. And Lord, show me that specificity. And just take it one day at a time. As God leads you, you're going to have things that he brings up. Listen to your spouse. Um, men, lead in this. Put a list out. Get, get a, honey, we're going to work on this. We can't work on all of it. What's most important to you? Where do we go from here? And then you're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. You're praying. You're believing God. And the Lord is going to give you a marriage over time that is beautiful, that is romantic, that's going to bring glory to God, and it's going to be for your good. And then your children, when your little daughter grows up, she's going to say, yeah, I saw that in mom and dad. It wasn't perfect. You know, I saw them have to ask for forgiveness. I, I saw them work through it. But wow, that's something. And then you, you, you attach it to the gospel, to Jesus Christ and the church. That's what Paul does in Ephesians 5. God receives the glory. We get the good, right? And, uh, and that's our hope and prayer. So let me pray for you. Let's thank God for romance. Lord, I pray for this class. Lord, I pray for those that are here. I pray that you would give them hope. I don't know where they're at on this spectrum of romantic love in their marriage. 
the scale is 1 to 10. There are some here that might be around 1. Some may think they're in the negative. I don't know. Some may think they're at 5 or 6, and they may be. Some may be 8, and they probably are. Lord, I pray that all of us would pitch in together. It's a community project. Lord, that we would help one another primarily by just modeling it. And, and like salt and like light, it just brings light into a room. It, it Salt flavors the food. And Lord, there we just see the, the playful joyfulness of our marriage. It's real. We have conflicts. We work through them. But there's genuine love and romance. And there's a twinkle in the eye and a, a playfulness in the touch. And, and there's joy. And there's a trust in you. And, and, and Lord, these would be lighthouses. We'd be lighthouses in our communities where so often we hear from our backyards and screened-in porches harsh words and anger. And sadly, we see divorce and separation. Lord, may there be these little, these little lights, like little torches, like light posts throughout our, our neighborhoods. And our church would be a lampstand burning brightly with the gospel that is played out in our marriages. And Lord, may we be blessed. May there be joy. Be our, each other's best friends. Have each other's backs. Romance each other for your glory and our good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.